With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Black free thinkers, where we walk by sight with a bright flashlight to illuminate night. Free thought, we don't walk by faith in the lost mind state, cause it's not quite safe. We don't recruit, we're not peers from a church, so don't be spooked, we're not here to convert. The only truth that's not pulled from a text, show me proof that's not good after death. This is the challenge to think for yourself, break it out of the bottle and speak what you felt. 310982 4273 to get through A venue for community and this is the zone If you'd like to speak with Kim then pick up the phone 310-982-4273 to get through The next tree branch is Rainer and it's best you listen to Reason, science, and skepticism It's loaded with straight facts, inspiring and dope She can make Bill Nye retire his lab coat Humans are hilarious and every other Friday I'd like to hear commentary on culture people So I hit up Super Mario and bring in Emmeline To discuss why we're capable of ultra evil It's normal for my brain to have a two-way street But if there's collisions, well then you got to just mention it And don't be afraid of where the truth may lead Ignoring your position of cognitive dissonance My father Teresa preaches, it's hard to stop So Kim paired me up with Alfred in the barbershop I have a sin family and all these places now As the free thought tree pollinates around This is the challenge to think for yourself Break it out of the bottle and speak what you felt 310-982-4273 to get through A venue for community and this is the zone If you'd like to speak with Kim then pick up the phone 310-982-4273 to get through Where we walk by sight with a bright flashlight to illuminate night we don't walk by faith in a lost mind state cause it's not quite safe. Guess who's on? It's me, Ultra Evil. What's up? And, hey. uh, <laughs> hey, yeah, I was just <laughs> got stuck. My computer got stuck for a second. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, um, we're going to, uh, we're doing the show a little differently today. Um, um, <clears throat> we're going to have, um, Candace Gorham, the author of, uh, Ebony Ex- Exodus, on, uh, on with us tonight. And, um, uh, the uh, um, my homie uh, Emily won't be won't be on tonight. She's uh, wish her the best of something she's going through. But in the meantime, we have the matriarch of BFT, Kim. Hey, hey everybody, how are you? 
<laughs> awesome, awesome, man. We you know it's gonna be a short and sweet show tonight. You know, just uh, we're gonna um, allow uh, Miss 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 Gorham to talk about her her book and ask her a few questions and whatnot. We're just gonna try to. Um, um, I like doing shows like this where we get to see a lot of people, get to talk to a lot of people who are not, you know, they're not the people you're seeing touring and their names are mentioned all over the place and stuff like that. It, to me, it gives me a, a chance to talk to somebody who is real and more closer to myself than someone who, I don't know, seems to be vaulted at the point, at the moment. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, let's bring her on. This is her right here. So, Miss Gorham, you there? Yes, hello. Hi, hi, hi. Say hello to Kim. Hello, Kim. How are you? I'm well, Miss Gorham. How are you today? Pretty good, pretty good. Excited to be here. <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. Excellent. Welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, we just uh I just want to bring you on to talk to you a little bit, you know, and um um you know, try to let you put yourself out there more and you know, maybe get some more sales and whatnot. I'm looking at your book on Amazon right now. It's pretty cool. Mhm. <laughs> so um tell tell us tell us um about your, yourself, you know. You know. Mhm. Um well, let's see. I don't know. What do you want to know? Sort of my religious background or? Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, let's see. I My history is really sort of varied and mixed up. Um, when I was a kid, my father was a Jehovah's Witness, so we did that with my dad. Um, you know, went to the Kingdom Hall on a regular basis. Uh, but my parents ended up separating when I was nine or ten. So when they separated, my mom didn't take us to the Kingdom Hall anymore, but I continued to do a home study with a family that would come, and they would, you know, once a week we would study the Watchtower and the Awake magazine and, you know, read the kids' versions of the Bible story books and stuff. And um, so I continued to do that, which, you know, sort of shows just how – you know, how crazy I was and how much I was, you know, even at that young age, at 19 years old, you know, I was making the choice to continue to do a home study, you know, and all of my friends thought I was crazy because I couldn't play on Saturday mornings, you know. Um, so I did that for a couple of years. And then when I got to um, about seventh grade, I started going to, um, like, the family church. You know, my dad's side of the family is a United Methodist Church. So I started going mm-hmm. to that with one of my aunts and my cousins. And, um, and again, like I said, that was a Methodist church, so I was confirmed in the Methodist church. Um, you know, I sang in the choir. I was there all the time. You know, every time the doors opened, I was there. This was, again, seventh and eighth grade, you know, Candace. Um, and then got to high school, you know, sort of fell out of church a little bit. You know, got to high school, had a social life, had other things to do, so I didn't really go much. Um, but my senior year in high school, um, I started going to church again with a family member. And um, it was a really small storefront church, and I stayed with that ministry for several years. Um, gosh, I don't know, three or four or five years, something like that. Um, and that was actually the ministry that I was ordained in 
Um, I was ordained as an evangelist and a prophetess, and, you know, I was the one that did the door-to-door, pre, uh, you know, knocking on your door Saturday mornings. You know, we did the street ministry. We did, you know, I was a praise and worship leader. I was the person that, you know, the pastor might call me at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning, like, hey, I need you to preach this morning. And so, you know, I had to throw something together before 11 o'clock. And, you know, I was just I was just there. We were involved in everything. My husband eventually got ordained in that ministry as well. And so we were just that crazy couple whose lives were just completely consumed with church all time, all day, all day, every day. That's um, amazing. <laughs> I'm sorry. So that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, it took up a, a good chunk of our early twenties for sure, or I'm, you know, our twenties up until about our mid twenties or so. Um, that ministry ended up closing, and so we we went to another mega church in my hometown in Greensboro. Um, so we ended up going there, and we were, again, we were in the, my husband's a musician, so he played in the band. I sang in the choir. I was one of the praise and worship leaders. Um, and, again, you know, we were there easily four days a week. You know, by the time you did two choir rehearsals and Bible study and, you know, early morning prayer and did two services on Sundays, I mean, again, you know, that, that church wasn't as extreme as far as things like casting out demons and, you know, but they did still pray in tongues. They did still believe in things like fasting, um, you know, prayer, laying on hands, praying for healing, that sort of stuff. Um, <clears throat> so it wasn't as extreme as the previous church, but it was still, you know, they were they were very big on the prosperity gospel. Um, so he was very preached very heavily on, you know, tithes and offerings and that sort of thing. Um, so that was another ministry that, again, like I said, we stayed there a couple of years. And, you know, so that's sort of the a quick overview of the different um, churches that I, major churches that I was a member of. You know, I visited other smaller ones here or there and sort of got involved with other ministers here and, you know, little bits and pieces. But those are the main experiences that I had. Wow. That's, that is, so you were really in the thick of it. You were really knee-deep into the religiosity and whatnot and the entire life. My grandmother was your witness, so I kind of got a smattering of that myself, but I don't Mm -hmm. think I was, I don't, I don't think I was ever that big, you know, Um, that's an amazing. So what kind of, what kind of uh, uh, began you questioning or what made you finally start to wane and finally leave religion alone? Mm -hmm. That's good. You know, everybody asks that question, and I yet do not feel like I've been able to give full justice to that experience. You know, even in my own book, you know, I kept the mm-hmm. sections about myself, you know, relatively brief. I didn't, the book is not about me. The book is about these other women. Um, so even in the book, I still don't feel like I've given, you know, that my history of how I deconverted still hasn't really been completely told. Um, but, you know, again, sort of try to condense it. Basically, I would say, you know, all of my life, you know, even in my teens and my, early, you know, the, when I first started getting really, really involved in that, you know, really extreme ministry, um, I always felt like I always sort of had this thing that even though I was, you know, even though I was a hardcore believer and all of that, I still had this feeling that, um, that, 
there was more, you know, that we depended solely and completely on the Bible and, you know, neglected that there were real-world things that were going on that needed our attention. So I always sort of had that internal conflict, you know, and my husband and I would talk about it, and, you know, he would agree with me, but then at the same time, you know, we were both hesitant to go too far. You know, we didn't want to go so far as to say, you know, this is stupid or the Bible is not, not meeting everybody's needs. We just always say, you know, things like this, there's more. You know, the church is missing something. They're not teaching something. Um, so right. I always had that sense. And um, I know for me personally, um, in my early 20s, I started um, suffering really, really heavily with depression. And um, and I would say that that <clears throat> by itself was enough to really sort of trigger a whole lot of, you know, I mean, just the depression by itself was always full of anxiety. But then I was, I was always dealing with, you know, the feeling that, if I was depressed, I wasn't doing something right. Either, you know, you could believe that maybe there was a demon that was affecting your life and that's what was causing depression, or, um, you know, it could be that you committed some sins that you don't know you committed, you know, or you watched a scary movie and that was enough sin to, I mean, every possible explanation there is for, you know, why I'm depressed besides just, my brain chemicals are unbalanced. You know, any other explanation right. you can think of is one I was probably told. Exactly. And so okay. I will have... Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Finish, finish what you were saying. So I would actually going... subject oh, myself <laughs> to... Oh, okay. I would subject myself to um, to um, deliverance. What we called was deliverance was basically getting, you know, exorcism, trying to have a demon cast it out of you. So I would go to the pastor and, you know, I remember going, I was just broken down, crying on the floor, saying, I'm suicidal, I think I'm going to kill myself, you know, I'm in a really, really bad place, somebody please help me. Well, what was I told? You, This must be a demon, so let's pray for you and cast this demon of depression out of you. So, you know, and, you know, I might be told to fast for a couple of days or, you know, once I got to a certain place, I sort of started doing this stuff myself. I started praying for myself to cast me. I'd be in the bathroom trying to cast the demon out of myself, you know. Okay. Um. <laughs> it gets deep like that. It really does. You, you know, but I have two questions for you, okay? And okay. basically my first question is, do you believe that there are more people in the church who are questioning, who have doubts, who may believe as we do that may be agnostic or even, you know, baby atheist, if you will, but due to fear of being shunned and ostracized or even just having some place to go that they remain in the church because of the benefits and the socialization, but yet they don't believe. Do you believe that Mm -hmm. to be true in, in many cases? Oh, absolutely. I mean, even, you know, even today just my friends and my neighbors and stuff, you know, the the more people are learning about my, you know, about me now that I'm really starting to come out to my family and friends. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, it can't be avoided. At this point, you know, people are finding out about me and, you know, coming across as far as my family and friends. And so it's interesting that when with some of the closest people in my life, I, I haven't had 
any pushback, and which I didn't expect to. You know, it hasn't affect, negatively affected my relationship with my dad, my mom, or my brothers or sisters, or my closest, closest best friends. You know, one of my sorority sisters and another girl I've been friends with since I was six. So it had negatively impacted those relationships, which I did. I never expected that it would. But what's interesting is that even with them, and then you know a little bit further for other friends that maybe I'm not as close to, um, you know, when this comes up and we start talking about it, it's interesting how you know they start sort of saying things to me that suggest that they've been thinking like this too, or they've had these same sorts of questions too for years. Right. They're just scared to ask. You know, it's like suddenly knowing somebody that they can talk to in a non-judgmental way, all of a sudden they start sort of going, well, well, you know, what about this? You know, I, I do agree with you on that. I mean, I've always felt this sort of way, you know, and so it's, it's interesting to have these conversations with people expecting that, you know, they're going to just immediately go, oh, that's nasty, I can't talk to you. Whereas the reality, what's happening is that people are sort of, eh, but you know, they they just want to touch a toe in the water, but then they they back right. away real quick because it, you know, that is the devil still is it still the devil? But you know, they're interested. They want to know what's what's going on on that other side there. You know. Exactly. Exactly. And so my second question is pretty much a follow up to that one. Now, with you know. Free thought, humanism, skepticism, you know, atheism. It's, I won't say it's relatively new in the black community because, you know, there were people pioneers before us, way before us. It's just that that history was pretty much factored out, you know, of history, you know, as far as like the black and the people of color who were non believers were questioning. Now, what's happening mm-hmm. now is we're having this new wave of non belief in communities of color, and we're in mm-hmm. our infancy as far as this wave is concerned. Do you believe that there are going to be more people coming out as we are, you know, out here encouraging them and now they have a support system? Because there have been, you know, quite a few people of color that have come out, you know, in the past, I'll say within the past six months, it's been absolutely surprising. So do you see this as a growing trend or do you see it as a fact? Um, no, no, no. I think it's definitely going to be a growing trend. I think um, religion in general, of course, you know, we've all read the statistics, all of us atheists and agnostics, you get really excited when the studies come out that show that, you know, religiosity in general is declining in the whole world. Um, you know, and every religion in the past has gone extinct. You know, Christianity is still only 2,000 years old. It's still young, you know, relatively speaking. Um, so I think that Christianity will continue to, you know, will continue to weaken. I mean, it might be some, it might be some centuries before it's completely gone. But you know, this is the part. This is how religions die, and of course, another religion might spring up in its place. But in the meantime, you know, I do. I think that we'll continue to see a decline in people who are really devout in their religious beliefs, and I think especially with Black people, you know, as Black people are, you know. Again, you know, people don't people don't like to hear this, but you know, the research shows that the better educated you are, you know, the more financially stable you are. The um, well, I'm sorry, let me reverse that. Uh, you know, atheists and agnostics tend to have higher rates of people who have better education, higher education, you know, more financial stability, that sort of thing. And so, I think that as 
black people are, you know, getting more educated or, you know, getting better jobs. That sort of stuff. We're not, we, you know, Sunday service isn't all that there is for us. You know, 50 or 60 years ago during se- segregation, that was all there was. We had to be such a tight-knit, close community. But I think as mm-hmm. black people are, black Americans are able to branch out and they're able to be in, you know, vastly, bigger circles than social circles than ever before, you know, I think mm-hmm. that the level of religiosity in and of itself, the intensity is going to is gonna die down. And then I think, yeah, you know, slowly you'll see more and more and more black people just straight up, you know, you know, refusing religion completely. That's, that's, you know, that's just, you know, you're giving some great information, some great um, responses to this whole thing. And I think the uh, – you know what y'all are saying is that you know it's true. You know I do believe that there that we were seeing you know like uh, the beginning of an entire movement or whatnot. Which, which well, not the beginning because it already had begun, but you know was not really talked about too much. But I really think that uh, the age of information is really forcing a lot of this stuff to the forefront, and it's now much more much more up in your face. So right, my question. Th- my question then is, what prompted you to write this book, Ebony Exodus? What, uh, what, um, what made you decide to, to create this book with these stories to share? Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have been writing. Technically speaking, there are some pieces in the book that I have probably wrote first when I was 20 years old. You know, I was writing bits and pieces and so you know, I've always been a writer. I'm a you know, I've a creative writer, I've taken creative writing courses and, you know, published little bits of poetry and stuff like that. So I have huge sections of one of my bookshelves with just like all these random journals and flash drives of stuff that I've just written over the years. Um, so there was, you know, some of these little pockets of, you know, shorts that I would just sort of Muse about, and you know, I write about it, and I talk to my husband about it, and it would just sort of go back on the shelf and sit. But like I said, remember, you know, I said back um, even when I was still heavily in the church, I had this idea that I wanted to write a book, and I wanted to do something similar to what this was, except that in my mind, it would, you know, it would reinforce Christianity and that sort of stuff. And it's funny because I remember my husband and I just laughed one day so hard because my I, the title for this book, now again, this was Christian Me Who Wanted to Write a Christian Book. The title of that book was going to be um, uh, uh, Jesus is All You Need and Other Lies the Church Tells. And we were like, ooh, that's going to be salacious. You know, you're going to get kicked out of the church if you write a book like that. Um, and so even back then, like I said, you know, I had already started sort of having these thoughts about the ways in which the church was was letting people down. And so my, my feeling at that time wasn't, well, let's get away from religion altogether. You know, of course, my thought at that time was how do we fix this? How do we make sure that the church is meeting all of the needs? Um, so slowly over, you know, time as I started to, you know, drift away from religion completely, um, you know, I – I kept coming back to this idea of, you know, I've been through a lot as a minister, as a, you know, mental health sufferer, you know, mental illness sufferer. You know, I I know my own personal struggle of being a really devout 
Christians dealing with these issues and feeling like I'm not getting the support that I need in church. Um, and so, like I said, once I once I finally completely left religion, I thought about it from that opposite from that opposite perspective, which is that maybe there are other women like me, you know. And I remember again, you know, one year we were coming home. It was like New Year's Day, a new you know day after or something, and we were coming home. And I was talking to my husband about the idea that I had for this book, and it was for the first time I'd had the idea of, oh, what if I interview other women? You know, instead of me just trying to write a whole book of just my thoughts and my ideas and research, I felt like that would be boring. You know, I felt like I'm not that interesting of a person to fill up a whole book anyway. So, you know, let me let some other people tell their stories. And so that was the first time I sort of had that moment of, you know, oh, man, I should do some interviews. And my husband was like, uh, you know, if you read the book in the um, the dedication of the book, it says, you know, to tomorrow for saying just start. And I will never forget that moment of, you know, being in the car and coming home and talking about that. Like I said, now at that point I was already I was already completely out. You know, I pretty much made up in my mind I was an atheist. Um, and like I said, in, in that car, in that conversation, I was just going on and on. And my husband was like, you've been talking about this book idea for years. You know, just start. Just start. You know, and right. so I needed went out and put out a call for some interviewees and um, Ivory Patterson who is in the book she was the first person that I interviewed so it was really just you know a result of me just over some over years and years but like I said if I, if I had to boil it down the one thing that really pushed it it was me finally sort of getting to a place that I had some mental health stability and I had already left the church, and so I was able to sort of step back from it all and go, you know, wow, this is, I know I'm not the only person who struggled like this. You know, let me see what other people have to say. That wow. is excellent. Wow. Yeah, that is excellent. And, you know, what you went through and, you know, what you're expressing here isn't, you know, um, you know, the, the whole story of yourself. There are many people that have gone through the same transitions and had some of the same issues. I know I've spoken on the show in the past about, you know, mental health care and, you know, the church not being able to provide answers. And earlier when you respected that they were laying hands on you and telling you that you had a demon or that you had committed mm-hmm. some type of and this was the reason why you were having experiencing some issues there. And I've talked about this in the past, and I've talked about how initially in the church, whenever you would have some type of mental health issue, you were looked down upon. So, you know, told that you have a demon and all of these things. And they discouraged people from going to get mental health care until they found a way that they could monetize from it, that they could profit from it. So that's why you see a lot of these Christian counselors and life coaches and people like that because the, it's been deregulated to the point where they can charge public aid, um, they can charge insurance mm-hmm. companies, so on and so forth. Now they want people to go and get help, but only if it's through a Christian counseling service, more than likely it's the pastor's wife or some crony. And so, you know, <laughs> Yeah, you know how this goes. And so I guess my question Well, that was me. I, I, I have had that exact scenario of, you know, trying to get some, some help in the church and being told, oh, well, go talk to the pastor's wife. 
Yeah, that right. She didn't have any training. <laughs> she was literally exactly. a stay home mom. When I when I think back, this was at one of the mega churches, you know. I'm like, now when I think back, I don't even know what she did professionally. Like, I think she was always just a stay at home mom. So anyway, not that stay at home moms can't be helpful, but she was not the professional help that I needed. Exactly. So did they encourage you to go get professional help? No, absolutely not. In fact, I remember um, I had made an appointment to go speak to a counselor. Actually, I had not made the appointment. I had applied for a job. You know, I had to do the physical. Um, You know, I had to, you know, get like a, you know, a physical, whatever. And I remember checking on the box that I had experienced suicidal thought. You know, I wasn't saying that it was active at that moment, but, you know, they're taking your history. Right. And so doctor, when she saw that, she asked me about it, and she was like, well, you know, I was going to be working with small kids. And so she was like, well, I'm not going to, you know, approve you to work with small kids if you're walking around suicidal and you're not going to seek help. And I was like, oh, you know, oh my God, it's not that serious. You know, you're making a big deal out of it. And so they had a therapist um, in that practice, and so she was like, well, look, I'm making this referral. You know, if you want me to sign this form, you got to agree to go to this session. So, you know, in my mind, I was thinking, well, whatever, I'll just go see another doctor, and I'll just know better to check that box. And, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, but I thought about it, and I thought, okay, you know, well, it's the first the first session would be free. All right, I'm going to think about it. And I, so I, I remember I was just so nervous. Like the idea of me going to see a secular counselor was just, I mean, I can't even I can't even explain the anxiety that I felt both because, one, I'm not crazy, you know, and only crazy people see doctors or, you know, therapists. And then, two, I'm a Christian, I shouldn't be dealing with this. Really, this is a spiritual issue. There's no point in me going to see this person. So I had this huge, huge anxiety because on both sides, as a Christian and as a black person, you know, I'm told, you know, I shouldn't need to do this. And so I'm not sure if it was the same day or maybe it was the day before um, I was scheduled to go see that therapist for the first time, I made an appointment to go see the pastor's wife. And uh, I specifically requested to see the pastor's wife, actually, because the pastor was one of those, you know, alpha male jerk type guys. Right. And so I didn't expect him to be. I didn't expect him to be, to be very sensitive to my, you know, I was already just, you know, I was already struggling. So right. I go to, um, I go for the appointment. I talk to her for all of about five minutes. You know, I'm walking in the door crying. And, you know, all of about five minutes, he goes, oh, well, let me go get Pastor so-and-so. He'll know, you know, he's better suited for this. Oh, you know, immediately I was just, like, mad because I'm thinking, I specifically requested you. I did not request him. And, you know, right. the first thing he's going to do is go get him. And exactly. uh, so he came, and he was actually much gentler than I thought he was. You know, I thought, than I thought he was going to be. He was mm-hmm. much nicer. But it, it was all, you know, oh, you're a beautiful woman, you're a strong black woman, you know, you're a great, you know, leader. God has a purpose for you. This is just a devil testing you. You know, you need to make sure you're here at the 830 Wednesday morning prayer. You know, you need to make sure you're here for that. You need to make so the solution was so pray more, read the Bible more. Prayer. 
you needed more right. intercessory prayer is what he was saying, right? Basically. Mm-hmm. And he, I mean, he explicitly said, I don't think you should go see that therapist. You don't need to see a therapist. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and I, again, like I said, I, I left and I went to my car and I just broke down crying in my car because, for one, you know, I was upset because I didn't want to talk to the pastor. <laughs> Right, but two, I was so conflicted and I was so torn. Of I was tired of being suicidal. When I say suicidal, I mean like I wouldn't even go into the kitchen because I was so fixated on the knives that were sitting on the counter. And I remember one day I was I had been home all day with my baby. You know, she was about a maybe a year old or so at the time. My husband came home one day, and I'm just like sitting in a corner crying, or I was sitting on the couch or something, and he could tell I was miserable, and he's like, what is wrong? And, and I was like, I have not been in the kitchen all day. You know, I'm terrified because I, my mind keeps thinking about these knives, and I know that I don't need to be near those knives. You know, right. so that, was, huh? that was the level of sick I was, you know, and so to go to this church, mm-hmm. and, you know, and I'm still going to church, I'm still working, I'm still doing I you know, pushing myself to the edge, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh and so I went after that meeting at the pastors, you know, with the pastors and being told that I shouldn't have to go, you know, that I shouldn't go. I just broke down crying and and I ended up going anyway, obviously. That's right. You know. And uh I was still but but it was there was a time when the only people who knew that I was going to counseling, I can I hid it from the pastor and his wife, of course, because they told me not to go. So mm-hmm. I had my whole church body, you know, everybody in the choir, all of my friends, I had to keep it hidden from them that I was going to secular counseling. And, right. That's uh, amazing. Yeah, and then with my family, the only people who knew were my husband and my mother, and. I reluctantly started taking medication. Didn't want to do that either, but, again, the doctor and the therapist were working together, and they were sort of adamant that, like, you know, we would really, really like for you to at least try this. And um, I remember when I started taking the medication, I was very, like, clear with my mom and my husband. If y'all tell anybody that I'm taking medication, I'm going to hurt you, <laughs> you know. Like, that's how embarrassed of it. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that's how embarrassed I was. I was mortified. I was terrified that people would find out that I was taking medication. Right. And now, of course, you know, now I just tell the world, you know, I love my medications. I'll never not take my pills. And, you know, I rave about medication all the time now, but to think, you know, 10 or 12 years ago, 10 years ago, I was terrified for people to know. Yeah, because you're balanced now. You know, meditation helps to balance you, and then you're getting the counseling that you need as well. And see, what happened in that situation, from my understanding, just from listening to you, is you were conflicted because you have the church telling you that it's just, you know, you go to the Lord at prayer, you know, cast your cares upon, you know, the sea, you know, and all of that. And they tell you that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And as a Christian, you have no business being depressed. You know, if you're a true mm-hmm. Christian, then you would not be depressed. But then on the other hand, they could not give you any type of wise counsel. And actually, um, they were being counterproductive because they were telling you not to go get the therapy that you needed. And, and also, the therapy was contingent upon you being able to receive the employment that you were seeking. So, it's exactly. not as though they were going to pay your bills. 
You know, and so I just find a lot of people in that position, whereas the church, you know, basically discourages them from getting, you know, counseling unless it's a Christian counseling because a lot of churches have their own Christian counseling, but a lot of people, mm-hmm. when they come out of there, they're more messed up because instead of giving them, you know, guidelines and, you know, information on, you know, how to get better or how to, you know, assist to get better, they give them scriptures. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, people are undiagnosed, I underdiagnosed, and also these Christian counselors cannot prescribe medicine. So they're not really mm-hmm. helping. They're keeping them. Well, you know what? Uh-huh. Go ahead. It's interesting uh-huh. that you say that. Oh, I'm sorry, Mario. You're going to say something? Yeah, I was saying that just you know, I just found it to be an amazing, amazing thing that you know that we've come we're, we're in such a place, especially black people, we're in such a place that that the idea that we're so dependent upon this religion that was forced upon us that any type of help outside of that outside of that that dynamic is seen as wrong. It's wrong for you to mm-hmm. attempt to heal yourself. You know what I'm saying? And you know. You have a you you have to be a schizophrenic or something like that. You go on a rampage, and what are you going to do now? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They're going to say that you know the devil made you do it, and God needed those people you kill and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's interesting though that you said you know that more churches like more churches are starting to have you know like you said counseling counselors on staff or on hand you know that you can talk to, but you know. Most of the time, the churches that have, you know, structured, organized counseling services, you know, and and even if it's even if it's not with a licensed therapist, you know, but somebody like like you said, a life coach, or maybe somebody that the church has trained to specifically work with people, you know, most of the time those are just those are that most happens in the white churches, you know. So again, we're talking about black women. And and those are often the more, you know, obviously they're the wealthier churches, so, you know, that can afford to have that type of support and that type of staff and put those sort of resources to that. And if you're thinking about the black churches, you know, the majority of our churches are, you know, under 100 members. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the majority of our churches are financially strapped. The majority of our churches, you know, don't have, they don't put aside resources to, like I said, even if it's even if it's not a licensed therapist, if it's just somebody that they specifically ordain to provide that sort of emotional support, you know, most black churches don't even offer that. So, you know, even though yes, it is a growing trend, it's still not translating for black women. I don't, you know, in my experience, because um, even when I was in grad school, you know, we would look around for internship opportunities, and the only churches that had them were all, you know, were usually white churches. And there was only a handful of, you know, I'm sorry, it was the only ones that I knew of were all white churches, and it was only a handful of those. Exactly. Well, you know, um, oh, I'm sorry, you going to go say something, Kim? No, go ahead, hon. That, de- that damn delay between talking, man, that thing throws everybody off. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, um, um, I, you know, it's just an amazing thing, though, you know. And I, I really, this, this is one of the reasons why I like to talk to someone like yourself who, um, who's writing these books and putting this stuff out there because I think a lot of these stories need to be told. 
and whatnot. And so, first of all, you know, some people have the idea that, you know, atheism is a white thing, that it's an elitist thing. And I guess if you look in some major organizations, you get you could probably convince yourself that that's the that's the impression. But a lot of us are not rich. A lot of us are not not affluent. A lot of us came through came to atheism of our own accord through our own trials and errors, through reading the Bible itself and whatnot. And a lot of these, you know, and especially within black culture, we're still taboo to not go along with the hive mind on a lot of things. You are less black if you do this. You are less black if you do that and stuff like that. There's something wrong with you if you do this and everything. To step outside that mold, outside the mold of uh, church and religion and do your own thing and be completely okay with it, not be depressed and not be going through all this, these, this shit that, you know, or anything like you're going. Matter of fact, you're living the same type of life they are. They just have someone to blame and someone to curse for it. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend of mine was at the, um, and I even even I can't cast too much hatred on the black church or churches, period, because some churches do offer some type of help to some people. Like there's a um, the Salvation Army uh, um, homeless shelter down here, which is a joke in making. It is a joke. Um, I will. You will never. I'm not, I don't want to get into a rant on that. But anyway, these homeless people have to leave the shelter at 5 a.m. And there are two churches that every day feed the homeless uh, uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or at least lunch and dinner. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I can't. I can't hate them too much. I can't dislike them too much because they're providing a service that I don't see anybody else providing. Mm-hmm. But. Um, I still, I still, I'm still, I'm still very applauding of people, you know, like you writing these books and putting these stories out there and saying, yeah, you can be okay without all this. Mhm. Yeah, and that's my thing, you know. I, and I, in the book, I try to make sure that I reiterate it multiple th- times throughout the book. You know, I'm not trying to say that all churches are this way. I'm not trying to say that all black churches are this way. I'm not. You know, I'm not trying to discount any of the positive work that the churches do, but my point mm-hmm. is that, you know, as we love to say, you know, they can be good without God. You know, everything that the church is claiming that they provide and all of the moral moral codes that they think that they, you know, that they that the world needs them to, you know, provide moral code. I'm saying, you know, all of that stuff can be had without that same, you know, religious structure hanging over people's heads. Now, with that said, though, um, you know, I was thinking about what you just said a second ago, Mario. I was thinking about that the other day, actually, about, um, you know, what it, why, why do the churches and the ministries and stuff, why are they the ones that are so prominent doing the community service work? And I think, you know, they have, you know, I think, one, they have a captive audience. You know, they have the church members who come on a regular basis, so that's free labor. You know, they tell mm-hmm. people, hey, good work. Y'all come volunteer at our soup kitchen. Y'all come donate food, clothes, you know, donate time and money. So you have this captive audience that you're be- that are being told that part of their salvation is dependent upon good work. Well, guess what? That's your free labor army built into your, you know, built into your business model already. And then, right. like I said, they have the numbers, you know, and a lot of them are, um, especially once they get the uh, the nonprofit status, oh, you know, well, now they can get grants or they can, you know, they don't have to pay taxes on it. 
stuff. So I think that the churches are larger, more stable institutions that have, you know, leverage on their members to to get money and, and manpower and resources. And that's why it's so easy for them to do that. I think that as, you know, atheists and agnostics, like what we see in there, you know, more nonprofits are forming, more this that's becoming more of a sense of community among atheists mm-hmm. and agnostics and this coming and mm-hmm. increased awareness that we do need to be involved in, you know, social justice issues and issues of, you know, community service. I think as, as that sort of becomes more and more and more aware in our minds and, and people are stepping up and making nonprofits and forming stable groups, then we will see more atheists and agnostic groups doing the work that the churches have been doing. But the churches just have a captive audience. You know, they have a captive exactly. audience. They have ready, ready-made free labor and resources. <laughs> exactly. And it, it's to that, like you were saying earlier, um, about them having, you know, free labor. You know, they call them willing workers, having people volunteer. And then a lot of people don't realize is that when people work for the church, that the church does not have to pay Social Security on those people. In addition mm. to that, all the homes and all of the cars, all of that is under the 501c3. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're not paying taxes on that. You know, they have a big portfolio of real estate, no taxes paid on that. And most of them are in, you know, educationally and economically disadvantaged areas. So they're taking away from the tax base. And then the same people in those communities are complaining about the schools and the condition of the streets and they're not being mm-hmm. all of that and you know they're blaming the government which is part of it but they're not they're not understanding the whole picture that some of these churches are eroding their taxes but you know mm-hmm. in addition to that you know um, when you start asking them where is the money where did the money go many of them you know they don't have any information to give you and the reason for that is because they're pocketing the money because they brainwash the people into believing that they have to give tithes, offerings, everybody has a birthday, everybody has an anniversary, mm-hmm. then you got to give mm-hmm. money for jet and then the credit union in the mall because now with the cult of personality, they're competing with each other who can get the biggest, best jet, who can open up a credit union or bank, who can get them all, and it, it's just it's absolutely ridiculous, but at the same time, they have been into submission because they are too scared to question the pastor and the leadership because why? Because of the scripture touch not mine anointing. And when you start breaking it down and explaining it to people, they get upset and they get scared. So that's the reason why many of them run from non-believers such as ourselves because we do understand the Bible better than them and they know it. So, you know, I'm just glad that you wrote this book and you know, I'm hoping that, you know, that it helps some people who are transitioning, who are questioning and doubting, because they need to understand that they're not alone out there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I know one of the um, – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mario. No, I was just agreeing with Kim. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say I know one of the um, – my next um, project, which I haven't started working on yet – well, no, I – sort of kind of have. Um, I want to do another book, but I wanted to specifically focus on um, black relationships, romantic relationships, um, and how that's affected by, you know, religion, atheism, coming in, going out, you know, 
aspects of religion. Um, and I think that, you know, all of this stuff, like you're saying, is even even stuff about, you know, obviously how economically depressed the black neighborhoods are and that, you know, that sort of stuff. And the the options that women have, you know, for, you know, black men, you know, of course, and that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with religion. We know just in general, you know, black. Uh-oh. Hello? Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, my phone did something weird. Um, you know, of course, we know, you know, with black men are, you know, disproportionately incarcerated, you know, you got drugs, you know, I mean, all of the things that we know are the ills of the black community anyway, you know, and I'm just interested now with all of those things already going on, you know, and the black relationship is already, you know, black romantic relationships are already strained because of all these other things going on. You know, and then I'm wondering what happens when you add this layer to it. I remember um, being on Facebook and being in a conversation with somebody, and they were saying that, um, you know, regretfully, you know, he was sort of saying regretfully, and, I, you know, hopefully nobody who's listening to this will get offended. But his preference was he was a black man, and his preference was black women. And he was saying, and he was, you know, he was being honest, you know, I think I may have to date outside of my race which I don't want to do, but I can't seem to find any black women who will, you know, who will work with me and stay with me and, you know, and he was like, you know, even if they didn't have a, uh, even if they were still in church, you know, obviously he was fine with as long as she just left him alone, but, you know, they kept that separate. Um, So I'm sorry, kind of, that was sort of a tangent, but I was just thinking about in general, you're talking about, you know, the how economically depressed the area is, and that just sort of made me thinking about, you know, how much the black family struggles and, you know, and then that led my brain down the path of relationships. But that's what I want to work on next because I think that's another big dynamic, you know, that that hasn't been adequately looked at as right. far as, you know, how the church is negatively affecting that. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, of course, you know, that contributes to the instability, you know, of the black community. It's, just a, it's really a bunch of vicious cycles, you know, exactly. over and over that everything feeds off of each other. Mm-hmm. Right. You're right. It's a perpetual cycle, and it does, you know, feed off of each other. And, you know, like I've said in the past, you know, all of these different oppressions, are connected to some kind of way. And, and what I find most disheartening about the church in general, but specifically the black and Latino churches, is instead of focusing on the issues that are most pressing to their congregants um, and to the community in which they reside, what they do is they find these, you know, what I consider insignificant that. I'm sorry. So sorry, it kind of got fuzzy. Can you say that part again? You said what you find is what? So, you know, what I find interesting is what they do is they, the congregants and the members of the community, focus on issues that are not pressing because they'll Mm -hmm. have, you know, their members, you know, focusing on 
gay marriage or focusing on abortion, but yet they have no answers and they don't try to challenge, you know, um, you know, wealth disparity, income inequality. They don't try to challenge, you know, um, structural racism, you know, other issues, you know, because at one point in time, you know, with the black and Latino church, because, you know, there's a long Latino history that people aren't aware of, but, you know, we'll just focus on the black church right now, but it was, you know, they focused a lot on social justice. And as time mm-hmm. has gone on, a lot of that focus has been diverted and it's turned more into a self-absorbed, narcissistic, extremely selfish type of ministry in which they'll say, well, I have mine, you have to get yours. And with that type mm-hmm. of attitude, it has brought up the mega churches, you know, these word of faith mm-hmm. churches. And basically, their focus is on money. It's like winning the lottery. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If I give, you know, $20, you know, um, you know, God has promised to make me a holy millionaire or a holy billionaire. So it's like, you know, a big old pyramid scheme. And it's mm-hmm. just, but, you know, the degradation of our communities and our culture, you know, I don't blame the church all by itself. Church is just but one factor in this particular mm-hmm. question. But we have to get refocused. We have to get refocused. And that's what I love about what I'm seeing with the rise, if you will, of atheism, humanism, and, you know, skepticism and free thought is the fact that we see more people who are more conscientious as well as conscious of what's happening around them, and we see more people trying to get involved in social justice and trying to challenge the people and say wrong. So hopefully we right. will encourage to get out here. Like I said, we need to put our marching boots back on. We need to be able to dismantle a lot of these, you know, arguments, be able to dismantle a lot of these public policies by going out and challenging the powers that be, and that includes the church as well. And we have to stop allowing right. to distract us from the real issues at hand. Because they don't have any right. issues. That's the problem. That's why they divert your attention to things. You know, if, if you got a gay couple living down the block, that doesn't have anything to do with your household. They are not <laughs> buying your My pool. They are not gassing your car. You know, so who cares what they do down the street? That's, they have a mm-hmm. relationship, love, and marriage for whatever they want. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing that kind of really just trips me out is how much of this stuff is really, is really so much. It's really so trivial that, I mean, if it's not if it's not going to help your community, um, or if it's not going to bring any unity to your community, it's not if it's not going to empower the people, then why are you even worrying about it? You know what I'm saying? I mean, right. if you believe that there's a better place that you're going to go then why are you so transfixed on what's going on in the day-to-day lives of people who you may not even ever associate with? Mm-hmm. And so um, I find I find myself just really some, sometimes just aghast at the things that not only just religion, but we focus on in general, you know what I'm saying? And so I, the social justice projects that I see sprouting up and the things that people are working on, it gives it really kind of fights against my cynicism that I have about human nature and whatnot. Because you know, I want to see a lot more good being done, and there are a lot more people who need to be helped. I mean, when you 
you know, a country that can send billions to other countries and spend trillions on wars that we don't need, but these people every day are still fighting to keep their their basic, you know, social security and, you know, welfare, Medicaid and stuff like that. Yeah, we need more people coming together to fight this because as long as we're divided, fighting all these little minor things, you know what I'm saying? No, we're going to continue to be controlled and stuff. Mm -hmm. So. Did I just go rambling on and on, man? I don't know. I think y'all got me. I think y'all got me. Yeah, but you have a lot to talk about. And, you know, you know, you know, Ms. Gorham writing this book, you know, she's, you know, bringing some more, you know, focus to, you know, women of color, people of color that are leaving the faith, giving their reasons as to why. And, I mean, that's a wonderful thing. And, you know, she's focused on other projects as well. And so I just think that it's positive and it's something that's much needed in this community. We need to focus more on publishing and getting our stories out there and having a support base, having a support mm-hmm. for people to learn as they transition out or even if they're questioning and doubting to have, you know, the facilities, to have the people around that can kind of help mm-hmm. them and answer questions and be of support and motivation and encouragement. And with the book that you've written, you know, is definitely encouraging a lot of people in the community, but it's also helping and encouraging some people outside of the community. So I applaud you and I thank you and I appreciate all that you've done. Well, thank you. Thank you. That was so generous of you. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I have. I've been, um, I've been very, very surprised at um, the reception. Um, you know, obviously I believe that, you know, I thought that people would be interested. I thought, you know, hey, this is a unique um, perspective on the topic. So I I thought that people would be interested, but I didn't, you know, I didn't expect as, you know, I, I've just been surprised. I've been surprised at how um, quickly it spread, you know, that people have heard of the book and people have seen my website, which, by the way, is Temporarily down. If anybody's trying to get on my website, I've got to put it back up. Um, but uh, but I've been surprised at how positive the support and feedback and stuff like that is. And e- even like like articles and things that are coming up online, I don't spend too much time reading the comment section. But I even no. the ones I have scanned, <laughs> <laughs> even the ones I I've been surprised though that a lot of uh, even like the Christians and the believers, a lot of them are have been more gentle than I expected. Like I just kind of expected to get cursed out and called the devil and stuff. But a lot of them, have, you know, have been like, you know, I'm sorry to hear that you went through this, but apparently you must have gone to the wrong place, and you know, which is a nice way to say you're full of it. So. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, I stay away from the comment sections though. I yeah, that man. <laughs> if you want, if you really want to have lose complete faith in humanity, read the comment section. That's... Right, <laughs> comment section of anything. It doesn't even matter what you're looking at. Exactly. If you read the comment section on Big Bird, and it's still gonna get ugly. Yep. <laughs> Especially in this age of anonymity, or alleged anonymity, anyway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. <clears throat> Let's see. So, yeah, so Mario. Mm-hmm. 
discussion out of this whole thing and um I know you know you have to go um uh Candace and whatnot and I don't want to chew your ear off anymore and everything. So uh, uh, won't you... <laughs> go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say no, I do I, I don't have to rush rush, but yeah, I do gotta get get ready to go soon. But I did wanna say that Matt, on on the record, Mario is like my horror movie buddy. <laughs> so, oh yeah! I can't wait to, can't wait to like, hang out and have a, a horror movie night and watch a bunch of the terrible B movies. <laughs> oh man, I, I can find some shit for you too, man. That's, <laughs> I, I saw you had that uh, one of the trolls from uh, uh, troll the movie Troll from when they they did the Cantos for Fanny a uh, little uh, the little song in that in that show, in that movie. Oh, oh, I'm not sure. I don't remember it right off. I had oh, that man, up I, <laughs> I will tag you in it. I'm going to post it. I'll tag you in it. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I will never but, uh, forget the one. I, I can't remember the movie that I was watching. Oh, I think I was watching Troll 1. I will never forget that, like, you and I were messaging each other at, like, midnight because I was watching Troll 1 and I was just cracking up. And, like, you already knew line by line the movie. You were like, Oh yeah, I know that movie. And uh and you went you went, you know what's what's so funny about the movie Troll Three? And I was like, What? And you were like, Guess what is not in the movie Troll Three? What? And you were like, Trolls <laughs> Trolls are not yeah. in the movie Troll Three. It's only about goblins. Because I about fell out cracking up. Like I said, he's laying on the couch sleep and I'm watching scary movies and I just hollered laughing when you said that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. okay. Well, um, is there anything else you want to say, Kim? Well, I just wanted to thank her for coming on the show. Thank you for being a part, you know, the show today and being a part of the community. And we look forward to hearing more from you in Oh, yeah, you have a few events coming up. You want to tell us about that? I know you're going to be featured at the Women in Secularism Conference. Oh, right. Okay, yeah, I do. I've got a number of things coming up. Um, Actually, this coming Monday, I will be speaking at um, the Triangle Free Thought Society in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, So I'll be there from 6 to, I think, 6.30 to 8. It's either 6 to 8 or 6.30 to 8.30, something like that. Um. So I'll be there on Monday, this coming Monday. Um, I'm due to I'm, I'm I can't I don't want to speak too much because I don't have confirmation or anything. But I may be in the D.C. area sometime in February. Like I said, once those details are finalized, I'll get that out. And then yeah, I believe it's um, April um, is the Women in Secularism Conference. I think it's April or May. Um, I'll be going there, um, participating in a panel discussion there. Um, and then there's a couple of other things coming up that um, I'm hoping to, to be able to get involved in, too. Um, so pretty big, another really big project that will be a time-consuming um, thing, which, like I said, I'm sort of teasing people with that, um, but that will be something that I'll be talking about some more. Uh, so I'm excited. I mean, there's a lot of really cool things going on and going down, um, you know, and people can um, – like my Facebook page, which of course is facebook.com/slash Ebony X for this 
Um, my website is ebonyexodus.com, which, like I said, you'll get an internal server area if you try to get on it right now, but hopefully I'll fix that this evening. Um, and um, another thing that I, I had didn't really promote as much as I wanted to, um, but I know I've gotten – you know, sometimes I get messages of people about how from people about how to get an autographed copy of the book. And actually, if you go to the publisher's website, if you buy the book directly from the publisher's website, that will generate a notification to to us, and I will um, assign a copy and you get it mailed directly from me. But you have to buy it through the publisher's website, which is um, PitchstonePublishing.com. Um, and if you went to my website, ebonyexodus.com, there'll be this link to the publishers. Actually, there's a link on, like, just about every page that says, you know, if you want an autographed copy, you know, go here. So you can you can get to it from my page, or like I said, the, the publisher is pitchstonepublishing.com. Awesome, awesome, awesome. This has been a great discussion. I really enjoyed it and whatnot. And I hope uh, everyone listening um, – got all that information down, and if they didn't, you can listen to the archives and have all that repeated for you. Um, mm-hmm. And um, without further ado, I don't want to chew your off any, uh, too much longer. Uh, Kim, you got anything you want to say, promote or anything like that? Um, Sunday. Sunday we're having our People of Color Beyond Faith Roundtable. So it will be Emily Masso, um, Danielle Whitlow, um, Tini Noah Jones, Raina Rose and myself, and we will be discussing um, how, how, as we've come out as atheists, humanists, non-believers, how it has impacted our lives as well as our worldview. So it's going to be a roundtable. This will take place 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, 1 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Eastern, Sunday, January the 19th, which is a couple of days from now. And so we're looking forward. It will be taking place live on YouTube. So it will be our third live webcast as people of color beyond faith. And we're looking forward to, you know, hearing from you guys. Input um, questions will be open that evening. And you can reach us at our hashtag, POC Beyond Faith. Again, hashtag POC Beyond Faith. We'll be taking questions on YouTube as well as our Twitter hashtag, um, on February the 2nd, on Black Free Thinkers, we'll be talking about church hurt atheists. And on Sunday, February the 9th, we'll be talking with the director of Wilmington on Fire, which is a documentary about Wilmington, North Carolina, which was the one and only insurrection or coup d'etat on U.S. history and how it was a prosperous black town that was overthrown by a mob of angry whites, just as what happened in Tulsa and Rosewood. But this story has not been told, and it was only acknowledged within the past 20 years of what had mm. happened, and now they're trying to pay reparations to some of the descendants of that coup d'etat. So that should be a very, very interesting um, conversation on Sunday, February the 9th at high noon. Central. Oh, nice. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, cool, cool, cool. Well, without further ado, I guess we're going to go ahead and wrap it on up and um, shut the show on down and whatnot. And um, mm-hmm. look at there, look hopefully at there. I can come happy. back sometime and, oh, I was oh, going to say, hopefully I can come back sometime and um, do the whole show so that I can 
um, you know, do be part of the call-in section. I think, don't you normally have a call-in component? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And you are welcome yeah. back anytime. Anytime. Just yeah. let any of us know. We will make that happen for you. Yeah, yeah, I would love to. I would definitely love to be part of the, um, you know, a question and answer segment because I've done a number of interviews and a lot of people, you know, have said they want to do a question and answer section, but I haven't participated in any yet. Uh, so, like I said, you know, anytime we want to reschedule another time I, that I can make sure I have a full two hours so I can do that, I would love to. Excellent. Okay, cool. Excellent. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. All thank right. you. Thank well, you, thank so, you much. so much. All right. All right. Well, this has been another edition of of well, evil without the M and everything. Hopefully, my um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully my co-host will be back with us next uh, the next next go round and whatnot. I wish you best, Candice Gorham, uh, Kim. I'm gonna um be checking you out again Sunday, and hopefully I'll be able to say say a few things myself. And for everybody else, you have a good weekend. I'm the Ultra Evil, and y'all enjoy yourselves. Adios. Thank you. Bye-bye. Concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.